A very warm welcome to this week's guest, Rehana Omri, artist and one of my very special soul sisters. Rehana is going to update us on what it's been like working uh, with Elsewhere Studios and renting a yurt for a studio um, as an artist during this global pandemic. This week's episode is going to be more of a conversation, a little bit less of an interview, so you'll get a chance to really get to know both of us um, as we share deep, vulnerable moments and how we've been coping with creativity during the pandemic and also throughout life. Hello everyone, and welcome to Archives for Aliens, a podcast recorded for future life on Earth, planet Earth, consciousness, creativity, the nature of reality, cool people making things, and life outside the box. What makes you tick? How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm ready to, to tell some aliens about 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 myself and the world yeah what's going on down here because it, it's it's been some craziness it's been some craziness i had to go on an airplane the other day and for a second i got to leave earth and it was before we knew the results of the election and everyone was wearing masks and i was like i'm really glad i'm not on earth right now just for you know the next two hours it was pretty chill <laughs> And then I had to land again. How how are you coping with all like the extra earth stress? I well the town I'm in is really small. I'm living in a little town called Peña, Colorado. And um I live like right at the top of a hill and it's all like BLM land um and public land around, so I'm not in a very populated area so a lot of things don't reach it reach here um and which is nice in some ways because i still get to like go out on walks and i don't have to worry about being in close proximity with anyone and i get a lot of nature time and and it's a slower pace of life but on the other hand i can feel disconnected in weird ways like for example after george floyd died um you know, the world was on fire, and rightly so, and um, Peonia just wasn't talking about it. There's like a Facebook message board where everything happens, and everyone lets everyone know what's going on, and ask questions, and the only thing that was on there was like, oh, there's a cow on the loose on Delta Avenue. Does anyone know whose cow (laughs) is? And I was like, are people not paying attention to what's going on in the world? So that was crazy. Um, So i you know, there were there were there are a few very concerned and and you know, um, empathetic and active citizens around here, and some of my friends and I, you know, made a point to like start the conversation, but it's a hard conversation to have because I think it's also 
um, you know, this town is, is very, very split politically and kind of, you know, there's like a really like new agey hippie population. Um, and then there's a really like conservative, um, like, you know, miners and ranchers population. Um, and in the beginning, like kind of neither of them believed in COVID and it, that was stressful. Like the hippies thought it was 5G doing it and that the crystals were going to fix it. And the miners were like, well, Trump doesn't wear a mask. So <laughs> not to generalize, but if you were to generalize, that's about how it went. That's so. interesting. Yeah, it's odd. It's weird. And but, you moved to this town where you didn't know anyone right before quarantine, right? Yeah, I moved in February. And stuff kind of hit the fan in end of February, beginning of March. How how did you choose to move there? I was doing an artist residency, for which I now work. Um, but yeah, I, I was doing a one month artist residency here in Panya. Um, oh, I didn't realize that was the same place. Yeah, it is. Um, and yeah, I really like the organization and. I joined their board and we have had to be really adaptive and do like virtual events and um you know not do any gathering sort of things and um but we're we're managing we had a couple of big fundraisers so we're not gonna die oh that's really cool so the organization is that the nonprofit that you were talking about yeah same one yeah, Elsewhere Studios. I think aliens would love it here. It's a very, uh, it's a rural um, sci-fi creative residency is actually uh, words we've used to describe it before. I think the aliens would be down. Oh, that sounds amazing. Apparently Terrence McKenna used to, he opened a vortex in the basement, they say. So they say. Was he actually there? He, he was from here, or he lived here for a long time. He's buried here. That's so lot, weird. But did he of, visit the residency building? Um, yeah. Legend has it. Because it used to be kind of a hangout spot before it became a residency. Oh, that must have some good energy to it. There's, yeah. They say it's a vortex, and our logo is like a little vortex thing. Um, so there's definitely, there definitely is good energy. Has anything weird happened while you're there? Nothing palpably weird. The, there was a, there's a cat that lived there and it had thumbs and it had kittens and all of its kittens had two paws on each leg. So that's weird. I would say that that probably counts. (laughs) (laughs) Any ghosts? Well, there's a lot of spooky noises. I lived in this little house that was right off of the main house. And then my studio was in the main house. The kitchen was in the main house, the bathroom, but it's called gingerbread house. And I had a little wood stove in there for warmth. Um, but you know, it would get spooky sometimes. One time I tried to leave the main house after working in the studio late and tried to go back to the, the little house where I live. It's, you know, maybe like you know, 50 feet away or something like that, not even. And um, 
I went to go open up the door and there was just a giant deer with like, you know, big antlers just staring me right in the face. And I was like, well, I guess I'll just wait. <laughs> um, but yeah, somewhat spooky things, some non-spooky things. People kind of don't realize that it's like a house where people live. So a lot of random people in the community kind of come by and a traveling magician, you know, was there the other day and was like, I just love this place. And, you know, the program manager was like, it's also people are living here. You need to leave. And he's like, I just love it here. I'm a magician. Like, let me stay. (laughs) Stuff like that happens all the time. There was this guy, I won't name people by names, but there are a couple people that just kind of come in whenever they want and Mm. not really realizing that they're not supposed to do that. I didn't mind it so much. I like all the oddballs of this community. I saw a magnet in a coffee shop a couple weeks ago and it was for sale and it said, Peonia, Colorado, we're all here because we're not all there. (laughs) Which I really appreciate. Okay. Well, when the world opens back up again, I'm going to have to visit. Yeah. Please do. It sounds like a great place to do a residency. It is. I've actually, I've never done a res- an artist residency. You should apply. There's like a, yeah, there's, there's lots of, I think you in particular would really like it here too. And there's lots of cool people that come through doing all sorts of cool things. Yeah. I feel like, especially since I haven't been focusing that much on art, because I've been doing all these other things career-wise I guess it would be nice to have a month or some dedicated period of time just to get back into it yeah it's so it slips away so easily yeah definitely what's uh your creative practice like these days my creative practice well I have a yurt it's my art studio. It also has a little wood stove. And I lately I've been working on a lot of commissions. Um, so I haven't really had time to do any personal work. I've done like a couple self portraits just to like practice, but I haven't done a lot of the things I want to do. But I have this big canvas that Um, I was given that had somebody's painting on it that wasn't very good that I was allowed to paint over. So I have it primed and it's a blank canvas now and I'm really excited to get into it. I have a couple ideas, Um, but mostly I've been doing, doing work for other people. I did like a couple campaign posters for local um county commissioner races um there were these two really awesome progressive um environmentally focused socially justice focused women who are running for county commissioner against these old um guys that were in with oil and gas that had been doing it for like you know 20 something years and um they both unfortunately lost their races the women did but they were really really close like by like 500 votes or something like that. So um, so it, it bodes well for the future. It's disappointing for the present. But I did, I did some posters for them. 
um, kind of just taking the ideas of their campaigns and what they cared about and um, kind of incorporating that into the background and then having portraits of them. They were supposed to be like propaganda-y is what, what they wanted. Um, but yeah, now that I have a little bit of time, I'm looking forward to using it and kind of reconvening with myself. Also, Catherine, our friend, has commissioned me to paint a somewhat large-ish portrait of Dolly Parton, which I'm <laughs> not. I'm very excited to start paint Dolly. Um, that sounds fun. It's a yeah. fun project. It's really yeah. funny. I love Dolly. That's great. Where did you get a yurt? I uh, met a, a guy who's nice, um, who is my yurt landlord. And I, I, had told, I told him that I'd been looking for a studio. And he has this land that has a bunch of cool structures on it, a lot of which he built. He made this old fire truck into a tiny home and a couple other you know, things that he's built out that are on the property. And then he has a yurt um, that he's renting out. And, and so I'm using it as a studio. Um, and uh, it's one of the yurts that was at Standing Rock. So there's um, a little sticker inside that says apples, not dapples, like D-A-P-L-S, like Dakota Access Pipeline. Oh, wow. Um, so it's it's cool to be in there and just think about kind of the meaning of it. Because the whole, I mean, the land that Peonia is on was Ute territory. Um, and then they were, you know, forcibly moved. And I just feel like when I'm, when I'm in the yurt and also when I'm just walking around and like seeing the beautiful landscape that we live in, I just can't imagine how horrible it must have been to be forced to leave like this beautiful valley that was their home. Um, and there's a mountain here and it's, uh, it's called Mount Lamborn. Um, and everyone thinks there's this little white patch on the side of the mountain and everyone thinks, oh, it's because that little white patch looks like a lamb being born. But uh, Lamborn was just like a settler, like just some white dude, as far as I'm aware. And the mountain's original name or what the, the Utes called it was um, White Buffalo Mountain because the little white patch on the mountain looks like a buffalo. Um, you know, but a lot of people here don't know that. Um, and I just, you know, somebody told me that I should probably do some more research, but, but yeah, it's just interesting thing to think about. I like the yurt. I love the yurt. It's my favorite thing. I remember when you were looking for a studio. How do you feel about working in a separate place than where you live? It feels important to me. I mean, it would be nice in terms of like, I'd probably go more often if it was like just in the backyard or something, but having a separate space to work, um, especially a space that nobody else 
is in or coming in and out of is really helpful to me. Um, not only because I'm not like as distracted, but also because once I get there, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, it's easier to get into it and be like, I'm here, I'm doing this thing and not be like, oh, well, I'm going to go eat now and procrastinate or like, um, you know, not, not have any guilt about things that I should be doing. So what ends up happening is that I will go, I won't go as often as I'd like. Um, and then I'll go and, um, I'll be there until like really late at night. Cause I'll just love being there so much and I'll be so free of distraction and I'll be like, Oh, I need to come every day. And then I won't go for another long time. Cause I'm like, Oh, I got to do this thing. I got to do that thing. And then I end up just not, I'm like, Oh, well, there's no daylight. I shouldn't go, you know? Um, and then when I do go, I'll be there for like forever. Cause I love being there so much. So I think there's probably a, a balance to strike but I do feel like it's important to have a separate place. What role do you think that artists will play in the future? Hmm. Well, I think all innovation is a creative act, um, which is something I think that has been getting lost in the way our education system works. Um, There's a lot of focus on separating disciplines so that they're more, you know, easily digestible. But the magic happens when you work between disciplines or when you, you know, you apply visual thinking to STEM and things like that. And a lot of the most innovative, like futurist, like, you know, sustainability and environment oriented things are happening now at art schools. Um, Like when I was looking at schools, there's like material futures. I've got a friend who just did a master's program in material futures in England and, you know, like bio design and like things like that. And, and that's, what's going to save us is like coming up with these creative new solutions. And it, it doesn't, at first, I think it surprised me that that was all happening at art schools and not at like, you know, Columbia University or wherever. Um, but the more I think about it, the less it surprises me because um, there's like these these discipline busting new new disciplines, I guess, you know, and it's doesn't surprise me that artists would be the ones brave enough to like pave that path and go boldly where people haven't gone before and and do that so I think that they're gonna save the world yeah I agree (laughs) along with help with other people but I think it's gonna require the artistic spirit to shake up those other people and be like this is how we innovate you know Mm um I think there's there's a lot of like expertise that's necessary for certain things. And then there's a lot of also, um, you know, coloring outside the lines, breaking the boxes, um, 
that's necessary. So I think it's going to require people really working together, but you can't leave out the artists because otherwise people will just be like, we can't do that. We've never done it before. Yeah. Do you have any ideas for how society could better support artists? I mean, part of it has to do again with how we teach and part of it has to do with like the stigma, the like societal stigma against being an artist. Like on the one hand, people are like, oh, artists, they're so cool. But then there's the other stigma of like, well, they just are doing that because they can't do anything else. Or like, hmm. they like, there's this idea that artists are not necessarily intelligent or not practical or not like diligent or, you know, this, those stereotypes are not helping anybody and, um, you know, some of the most productive and, you know, even type A people I know are, are artists. And I think that um, kind of emotionally supporting and being like, it's awesome that you do this. Like, let's see what you can contribute rather than requiring artists to like fight for their validity or their right to do what they're doing. Um, would be awesome. And also that, again, the discipline busting thing, like I found that a lot when, you know, when I was younger, um, I was really into the sciences, you know, as it's like how we, how we became friends, really. A lot of that was through being really into like physics and bio and talking about the universe and stuff like that. Um, and then I ended up going in college in the path of of art after lots of different iterations. I thought it was gonna be a physics major. I thought it was gonna be a bio major. I went English and then I was like, ah, I just don't have enough time to draw because I'm really interested in everything. So I think that also not barring them from learning other things. Like I think when you have, you know, a physics major, you kind of assume, well, oh, they can learn about biology or they can do economics. You know, they kind of, there's this idea that they're smart enough to do anything else and then when when you have artists it's like well i'm not gonna hire them for a bio job why would i do that oh uh, that's a really interesting perspective yeah well that's what i felt that's so true i never noticed that specifically i've never i haven't felt like i've been seen as intelligent or or valued in that way since college i think a lot of the times because of my major and applying for jobs, I think that being an art major is a, is a bigger disadvantage than I realized it would be. Wow. Um, but also that's, that could be because I'm not actively trying to be um, an, an artist, you know, in the, in the kind of traditional art world way, maybe I'd find it an, an advantage if I were doing that. Um I think there's also a stigma in the other direction. It's like if you take take a physics major and and have them, you know, do a painting. I think there's a lot of art people that would be like, well, that's not high art. They're just doing it for a hobby or, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. And thinking that people are too stuck in their in their, you know, math side of the brain to to step out and be creative. And really it just doesn't work like that at all. You have two sides of the brain. You use both of them all the time. Like, I don't know why people <laughs> think otherwise. And they inform each other. They're connected by the great corpus colossum. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's, I could never decide on anything either.
Well, that's, I think, why we had so much in common and we're friends is because we're both artists and scientists and, you know, curious about everything. And and they do inform each other and visual thinking and, and STEM, um, like it, there's there's all this new research out now that's like, wow, like visual thinking really helps like STEM. It's like, we've known this, like all biologists used to draw and that's how they learn. Yeah, like field study. Work, yeah, and how plants, you know, plant studies and things like that. It's like, you're just observing phenomena. It's the exact same thing. And you're translating it into the, you know, drawing format. Um, and then like engineers, Leonardo da Vinci drew all those machines. Like it's all visual thinking. Um, and if you can't think visually, I, I, I don't know how you would become an engineer or put all those things together. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of the direction I'm trying to go in my life is I'm, I'm planning on going to school for industrial design, which I think makes sense to me, but it took me so long to like find that discipline and like find like a future that I could imagine myself being fulfilled in. Cause I don't feel like I would be fulfilled trying to be an artist. And I think I'd be more fulfilled if I was trying to be like, you know, an evolutionary biologist or something, but you know, then you end up and you want a field job or something. Those are really hard to come by because there's a lot of bio majors in the world. So I think it just, it's, we need more cross-disciplinary uh, work and, and more jobs like that. Yeah. I know my dream job used to be like running my own lab, but you know, in the past I, I thought that you could, oh, you could like actually run your own lab. You could do whatever you want. You could have weird, <laughs> weird studies on the nature of reality. Put in your house. Can do whatever you want if you can get it paid for. Yeah, but yeah, but there's very few people that want to fund a mad scientist for some reason. I know? actually put mad scientist as my uh, future career. Yeah, yes. <laughs> In my eighth grade yearbook. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, I didn't realize they couldn't get funded. You know what um, I, that was just reminding me of? Have you seen the documentary um, about Hedy Lamar? No. I highly recommend it. Um, she was a Hollywood actress in like the golden age of cinema, 30s and 40s and stuff. And she was known for being super beautiful. Um, yeah, so they assumed that she couldn't be, couldn't possibly be um, that intelligent. Um, because she was so beautiful um, and because she was a, a woman. And so she uh, ended up doing a lot of experimenting and a lot of work on her own. And, you know, she couldn't be an inventor in the traditional way, um, but she would, you know, end up dating, you know, engineers and inventors and, or becoming friends with them. And apparently she's the reason that like airplanes wings are like, you know, kind of angled backwards rather than just like straight across um, because she looked up picture, pictures of the fastest fish and the fastest birds and they all had wings angled backwards. And so she was like, well, do that to the plane. And now planes look like that. And then the other thing she invented was frequency hopping, which is, um, you know, she wanted to help World War II and she wanted to help, you know, fight the Nazi 
regime. And so she, um, you know, invented this way of um, interrupting frequencies so that, um, you know, German U-boats couldn't uh, locate the ships to, to, um, or maybe it's, Maybe it's so that the torpedoes, they could send messages to torpedoes to hit the U-boats and, and they wouldn't be detected by the, by the U-boats. Um, and then that technology ended up being responsible for Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and all the stuff we use today. And it's, it was invented by this like beautiful Hollywood actress who no one would actually let invent. And she gave her invention to the, the Navy, I guess, um, and they didn't give her credit and they didn't use it during that war because it came from a woman. And so then they used it for later, later wars. And, you know, again, didn't give her credit. She didn't get credit until she was like much, much older, um, you know, like very up there in years, but, but yeah, she was doing her own, just forging her own path and she was a genius and she had to just do it herself. That really makes me want to set up an experiment somehow where you get like 10 really creative people and you just pay them a stipend to to live and maybe a little extra money to do something. It's a residency. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly like a residency, but this would be just like a creative residency. We So we have this thing in the summer... Um, one of our board members works at Texas Tech University. And um, then we also roped in Western Colorado University somewhat nearby. And we bring one um, art, art student and one like environment and sustainability student to do a project together over the summer. Do they know and each other? No. So they meet and then they do a project. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's rad, but it would be, and you know, and anyone's allowed to come. We got writers and all sorts of other people, but it would be super cool to get more scientists. Yeah, and they need a break too. I'm sure they do. Especially like, yeah, anyone I think that works in a lab, they don't even get to see light. The sun, I know. Our friend Jeffrey used to work the night shift at this pharma company and he just was, his hours were just the middle of the night every day. Those were his hours for like months and months. I, yeah, I heard that. That's really inhumane. It's very inhumane. Treating the lab techs as lab rats. It's not fair. I feel like I'm on a little bit of a mission somewhat with what I've been doing in coaching to uh, free all human beings from the cube farm. <laughs> like, I just want to let them out. Of, of, like that we're all in cubes or they just shape us into cubes? Both of those things are kind of go along with it. But what I'm really thinking about is like corporate, corporate America. Like, where there's literally, like, hundreds of people at their cube, and they're just doing nonsensical, I mean, I know they're so, somewhat sem- sensical, but not 
super meaningful things all day long um from anyone I know who works that kind of job it just I feel like it's inhumane to have somebody work in such like such a specified project that they don't even know what they're doing yeah and that's like this weird repetitive intellectual task that's sort of like factory work but for your mind which is even worse Yeah, I'd rather have body factory work and a creative mind. I say that not having worked in a factory, but when I do physical labor, like, you know, when I've done lots of yard work for people for money or, you know, like production art, I got to do a little creative, but it was mostly just like, you have this skill, do this skill, change this now, you know. I would rather do that physically than mentally. I agree. I really do. It's weird that we're losing so many physical jobs and we're just gonna keep losing them probably to the robots. Yeah. It's so weird to me how, like the whole idea of having AI like automate things is supposed to be so that we have more time to be creative and enjoy life. But somehow it doesn't seem to be working. And it's almost like the complexity of modern life just like fills in the space yeah. for all that extra joy and creative freedom that we should have. Totally. And I think a lot of it has to do with economics too. And, you know, the fact that we're in like late stage capitalism and, um, you know, we've got like on the whole, maybe a better quality of life, um, one could say from from one perspective. Um, but, you know, the, the economic downturn um, creates a lot of stress and you have to have more and more things to, to do well. You have to have a college degree and then you know you still end up in service jobs um there's just so many people and you know so many of the jobs have been automated or you know programmed and and so then well and it's also part of it's like us being told you know you could be president you could do anything that people have a hard time finding fulfillment in kind of like smaller jobs because mm-hmm. um, there's this pressure to do more. Yeah, you're right. There is there is definitely pressure both ways. Like the, yeah, the mental pressure, but also the general impossibility of it actually sustaining you. Yeah. I feel like for a lot of those jobs. Yeah. I've actually liked my service jobs, some of the best out of any jobs I've had because um, I like the people and I'm moving all the time and I'm talking to people and I'm moving all the time. Um, even though it's not necessarily using my brain as, as, as much in a classic way, I'm still problem solving, but um, you know, I'd far prefer to be a waiter than be an administrative assistant just shuffle papers around and put stuff into excel i've done both of those things and yeah i prefer service industry 
Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Because then you can still go home at night and, like, think and work on art and creative yeah, things. Yeah, I leave work at work. Yeah. And my brain's not tired. Yeah. Exactly. There's a different kind of exertion that happens in the service industry, though, where if you have to have a smile on your face all day and, like, fake nice and, like, be very accommodating and super attuned to other people's needs, that there's then a social exhaustion that happens. But yeah. I I'm sure I would just get fired, well. like, the second day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> still, even now, like, I just different things I, I, I wouldn't work well in the, in the service industry like i'm not wearing shoes today guys i did that once i wore slippers to work at a retail job by accident because it was early in the morning and then i convinced my boss to let me go home and change my slippers because he was like it's okay you can pretend they're shoes and i was like these are slippers and they don't even look like shoes and, like, I don't want to scuff up my slippers, man. So I made him let me go home <laughs> and change. There's actually the same slippers I'm wearing right now. It, it, it's just, it sounds like you might have done that on purpose. I did not do it on purpose. But uh, now, with Zoom, we all get to wear our slippers to work every day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, I been going into the art studio that I work at we've been seeing people on and off but I've, I'm actually really thankful that I've still been seeing other people mm -hmm. do you feel nervous or like risky about it no we've been really careful like I work with four there's five of us total and we were seeing like at maximum four artists per day so I felt pretty okay with it we're not seeing anyone now again because Missouri cases have are going up. Yeah. Here too. Yeah, I actually don't feel nervous. I feel a little impatient, I guess. Confused. I'm thankful for yeah. Zoom though. Yeah, who knew? They're making a lot of money. Yeah. Well, and I'm doing things I never planned to do at all. Like, all of my workshops, my coaching workshops that I got the studio for went online. Uh, which probably is a better route to go, actually. Yeah. In the long run. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things that don't need to be in person. And it's a different kind of efficiency you can have if everything's online because you can just like come in from the other room and do it. You don't have to like commute. You don't have to get dressed. You don't have to mm -hmm. stress about getting there on time, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. like it's less pressure for other people. And what I find really interesting, and I want to get way more into this, it's part of the reason why the podcast has started, is I started meeting people from all over the world. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and it just makes me think that there are so many more people out there who have the same interests as me and the same mindset or have things to teach me. And because of the internet, we can, like, put out all these little, like, 
calls or like feelers or like signals. Yeah. Like, hey, I'm over here, guys. Yeah. I'm taking a guitar class from someone in California who I've always wanted to take classes with, always, always, because I knew her from guitar, this guitar workshop I go to in Seattle every year. And I thought, oh, I only get to learn from her once a year. And she's put all her classes online. So now I get to take classes with her that I wouldn't otherwise get to take. And it's been really great for me. And I'm already thinking about next year's party parties. Like how much more fun is a party going to be after not having one? I can't wait to go to a music festival. I want to go to Telluride Bluegrass. Like I think I'll probably just cry to see all the people. I think I'm going to do a lot more crying in public than I intend to do when I start to see people again. I know. I mean, that's exactly, like, I'm already thinking of it. I just want to take time off and travel and go to music festivals and see everyone. Yeah. And actually be more unproductive than I am now. Just. <laughs> you feel like you're being pretty productive. I mean. No, I, yeah, I'm being productive now. Yeah. So I'm saving up my unproductivity for when the world opens back up again. I want to save money, but I would need to get like a remote job and because there's no jobs in Peonia. Um, so if I can save money, then uh, yeah, then I might just go like, is this a PG? Am I allowed to curse on the... On the... <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just gonna go fuck off for the next year like just dick around like maybe go to Europe like I would love to do that I also need to I need to make some money so that that's becomes a possibility so something that's happened to me in the last six months and I don't know if it's just because like you know how the internet sends you things that it thinks you need Mm -hmm. Google ads all that stuff but I've been confronted with more courses and teachers and lectures on how to manifest money than I could even count. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had so much money I couldn't count it. Yeah, let's transition into that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's out there with that. But if I if I bring it in in the next year we'll all go to europe together perfect if you could if you'd learn how to bring it in maybe teach me how to bring it in too just, i know. would love to <laughs> that would be good that's that is one area of life i am still pretty stumped on me too the i guess i'll call it manifesting money although i i, I do like to think about it more as like an ecosystem yeah well the money ecosystem i think that the money stuff as i'm sifting through my own emotional baggage and like healing from some things i didn't realize i needed healing from and kind of like sorting through old old things um i'm realizing that other areas of my life that i didn't realize were connected are becoming alleviated once I'm alleviating these particular problems. Um, And I think that the money thing has, just in the way that like procrastination is less about productivity and more about emotional regulation, Hmm. I think the same thing has to do with money. I think that 
like my hangups with money that are preventing me from, from making the kind of money I want to make. And, um, I have a lot more to do with like what I'm willing to do for money. Like the, the time I'm willing to invest the emotional, um, you know, investment I'm willing to make, like how tired I'm, you know, things like that. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with like not settling on something that's unfulfilling and how to balance, um, doing things I'm passionate about with making money. Um, but I think that, um, if I fulfill myself in other ways that, that what I do for money won't matter as much. And therefore I'll be able to make more of it without, you know, overthinking it so much or like allowing these various things to prevent me from, from doing it. You know, I've, I've been thinking about school and I got into a program and then, you know, I can't afford to go this year. And so I'm thinking I'll defer. And then if I defer a year, I don't mind spending the next year working some job I hate because I know that I'm going to eventually go to do this thing that I love. And so I think that there's kind of, um, you know, everyone's got their own stuff with money. Um, and you know, the economy's trash right now, but I think, um, at least for me, I'm realizing that a lot of it has to do with emotional hangups um, that then prevent me from, or, or like various like kind of lowercase t trauma things um, that then make it harder to manifest money in life or be kind of successful and just go on that path and be trucking along and not have stuff get in the way or stuff come up or things like that. That's interesting. I've heard a lot of people say things like that, but no, I've never had it explained like the, like the way you just did. Comparing it to like procrastination makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Have you hacked, have you hacked your productivity? No, I mean, not exactly. I'm getting there though. I'm not late to stuff anymore. And that's a big, a big thing. I mean, you knew me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say that that, that counts. Yeah. I'm not late to stuff. I, I just, you know, very like I'm late to stuff. I probably as much as the average person now, like there's occasionally something where it's like, Oh, I totally forgot that was going to happen. And then I'll go to it. But if I'm aware that it's going to happen, I'm, you know, and I know what time it is and where I'm supposed to meet and everything. I'm not late. Um, and there's a couple of ways that that happened for me. One of them is that it just became important to me at some point. And that happened because of a couple experiences. One of them being I had a job that I worked really, really hard at that I thought I did a pretty good job at. The one thing was that I was still late every day because I am late. I was late every day as a person, just generally. But everything else, I did it really well and I worked really hard and um, I ended up not getting, not being able to get a good reference from that job because they were annoyed that I was late, even though I was, mm. you know, good in every other way. And so that, that kind of kicked, kicked me in the pants a little bit. And I was like, all right, well, I guess this is really important to other people, but I still didn't understand why. For me, it was like, why does everyone care about being late so much? And then I had a couple experiences where I was running on time and I had to wait for other people, 
which didn't happen very much. But I, uh, my mom was getting ready for something and she was taking forever and it was making me look bad that I was late. It was making me anxious that I was late. And it was because she was taking a long time. And I said, wow, this is how other people must feel about me all the time. And so I just was like, I don't want other people to feel this way about me because it's not a fun feeling. And so I kind of turned it around. And then the other thing that I, I had one teacher, an art teacher who said, said to me, I think this was the biggest thing. Um, it was my senior year of college. Um, and she said, you know, you could be on time if you made it a priority. Um, it's just not a priority for you right now. But she didn't say it in a judgmental way. She didn't say it like, you need to do this and you need to make it priority and it's insulting. You know, she just was like, you could do this if you wanted to. I just don't think it matters that much to you right now. And then that kind of was like, wow, she wasn't mean about it. She just kind of saw where I was at and, um, and she's right. And so I just kind of slowly started getting better at it, but it happened a lot faster than I realized. And now occasionally I'm the first one on the Zoom meeting. Yeah, you you definitely beat me. Beat me to the Zoom. Which I'm sure is very surprising for people who've known me for a long time. So things like that are starting to happen in various ways. I'm starting to solve problems when they come up rather than putting them off because I realize that it stresses me out to put them off. Um, And the the only person that that it ends up stressing out is me. And I I really do feel it. So checking in with that feeling. And then the other thing, um, what was I going to say? Oh, also realizing why I was late and kind of acknowledging that a lot of the reasons that I stay up late and a lot of the reasons that I run late to things or used to is because I really needed alone time. Um, and those were the times where everyone else was, was busy. So either everyone else was asleep and I was up late or everyone else was at school. And I had these like few moments where the whole world was doing something else and I was alone. And so then just trying to give myself alone time in other ways so that I don't need it, you know, when I can't have it or like shouldn't have it. You know, I don't need to make myself late to like get some moments of peace which is a funny thing. I never connected that. And then once I did, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. Well, let me just take some more time alone and fill up that bucket. And then I don't have to do that. Yeah, no, that actually makes a lot of sense. And I used to stay up late for that reason, for sure. And because I felt like I needed to get things done, not like productivity wise, but like just let my brain think and be creative. And the only time I could give myself that space used to be in the middle of the night yeah yeah and I think a lot of people are used to living around other people and living to other people's schedules and accommodating other people and and you know not not giving themselves what they need yeah Uh, I find that incredibly difficult yeah are you living alone now no I've got three lovely housemates but I've got my yurt and my yurt is, is where I spend time alone. And I kind of hide in my room a lot. And then when I want to be social, I can be social. And when I want to hide, I hide. There's only been, 
there's only been a few times where I've been so like not wanting to interact with anybody in general, just, you know, when you get that feeling. And I've been like, I wish I could just climb out of my window to leave instead of having to go through the front door. But that doesn't happen all the time. It's only, it only happened a couple times where I've had that feeling. And so that's also a step in the right direction, probably. Yeah. I think that's so interesting how it just took that one teacher to point that out. It, it makes me think so many more people should do that in a kind way. Yeah. Yeah, just recognize where people are on their path and not shame them for it. Because shame is a huge thing that's especially being caught up. That's, you know, it's caught up with a lot of things, but being late, you know, you're constantly being shamed for being late. And then you've got all the internal shame. And, um, you know, with there's, I think with anything, like I'm kind of, as I'm developing my own, what do you, what do you know about attachment theory? Oh, <laughs> been reading up a lot on that one. As have I. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I know, I know the different styles. Yeah. I know that, that I'm I'm working on it. What do you think I am? Carmen called me out on mine and I was kind of upset, but at the same time she was right. You're the avoidant. No. That's You're not true. I'm both. I'm the fearful avoidant or the anxious avoidant. Oh. Yeah. I didn't see that, but I could see that now, like kind of looking back. I would ask you what you were, but I don't, you know, if you don't want it recorded for, for no, time. I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm slightly towards the avoidant one. I can't figure it out though, for sure. Yeah. I used to be very, I used to be the attached. I used to be anxious attached. You might be both like me. You might be the fearful avoidant. There's this one, do you know Thais Gibson? She like, no. one of the experts. she's got a ton of YouTube videos. They're all for, like a bunch of free material on YouTube. And then she's got courses you can sign up for, which I haven't done yet, but um, it's T-H-A-I-S um, Gibson. Um, and I think that's how you spell her name. But yeah, so I've been, you know, back to what you were saying about people being you know, non-judgmental and non-shaming about where people are at. Um, as I'm learning more about myself and about these various things that I've, that have caught me up without even realizing it, um, you know, she advocates for like, first of all, being really kind to yourself and being like, okay, this is why you do this. You can change it it's not ideal and like you can change it, but like be a little nice to yourself and that there's a reason that you're like this. There's a reason you've developed these coping mechanisms and whatever. It's also helping me be kind to other people and be kind yeah. to where other people are at and be like, Oh, well, you know, maybe they had a parent that was really strict and not emotionally um, giving. And so now they're really afraid to get close to people. Like that's, that makes sense. Like, yeah, it hurts me. It annoys me, but like, it's not about me. Um, and it's not personal and it helps me not take things personally. And then it also helps me be a little bit like, 
less judgmental to where other people are at. I'm still working on that very much so, but I'm finding that this stuff is helping a lot. Yeah, no, not taking things personally. I think I learned that maybe like four years ago. Like as I was going through a lot personally and like I felt like people were not helping me. Yeah. <laughs> I started to take it personally. Yeah. And then I guess as I started reading more, learning more, paying attention, somehow came out on the other side of that. I do feel like you're good at that. Um, Cause sometimes I feel like I'm so bad at like texting back promptly or like, but I feel like you just always know that I care and um, you know, and like, I think you just have a kind of a generous perspective with other people a lot of the time. So I really admire that. Oh, well, thank you. And I mean, it's not something that I'm like trying to do. Like it was something that clicked in my brain where I was just like, you know what? Sometimes I want to disappear for a month and I want to be able to do that without, uh, you know, people having a hard time with that. Cause it's like, if you're not answering, especially with the messages, like if you're not answering a message, like, you probably already feel a little guilty that you're not answering it. And you're probably not answering it because you're busy, distracted. Who knows? Yeah. But and it's definitely not because you don't, like, I don't know. I try to do that with other people, too, and just know that, like, I think I used to get caught up, if, especially if in, in, like, a kind of romantic situation, if someone wouldn't text me back. And it's still difficult, but it's a little bit easier for me now to be, like, I bet they're doing something, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think it's because they don't like me. Um, but yeah, it, it feels so good not to like make those things up. Yeah, that's definitely still something I'm working on. There was um, an astrology reading that I was really excited to to be getting. And then the person stopped contacting me. And I thought that was because my chart was so bad. Oh, <laughs> and I was convinced I was like telling my parents I was telling Steve I was like I'm like there must be something in my chart and they're just like no it's not that at all like we're sure it's not that that's so funny I'm good with it with friends but if I don't know you I'll make up all kinds of stuff yeah that's funny I I doubt your chart I, has you know <laughs> <laughs> repelled anyone do you hear the train yeah i live by a train now too awesome i love trains i agree great america they're very grounding to me they're grounding but also you know kind of supernatural not supernatural but like there's a there's like an like an old an oldness there like you know american roots and the you know the history and there's so many train songs it's like very much part of the i i don't know I'm, I'm enjoying being in the west and like having the train the coal and it's a coal train too from the mines here and just feels very as it should be in kind of weirdly American spiritual in a way. Yeah, I agree. 
I, I think the train tracks where I live in Maplewood, I feel like they mark the vortex. I call it the vortex. There's something going on in this Maplewood place. There's something special that happens on train tracks. Like I, the beginning of pandemic, I was writing a bunch of songs and I'd go and I'd walk on the tracks and you know, all the railroad ties are like relatively evenly spaced and so I just walk and click on the railroad ties and then songs would come out and it would just happen all at once, you know? And it happened almost every time I went walking, I'd just come out with a song or a poem or something and it just worked every time. I was like, why is this my magic place? I don't know. And then I, you know, the rest of the time wouldn't come up with too much, but it was a really good creative space for me. That's so cool. Do you record your songs anymore? I was recording on a little tape recorder, which I actually probably have. I found this old purple mini cassette tape recorder in my childhood room. And I don't know why I thought it was going to work perfectly. It's been through like long non-air-conditioned summers and cold winters up there for, I guess, probably like 18, 19 years or something like that up there. And so I was like, oh, I'll just try it. And then it was all wobbly and crappy sounding. But it's it started sounding better. So now it, it works relatively well. I mean, it's still pretty lo-fi type of sound, but I kind of like that, especially if you're just doing like acoustic guitar and voice. So I haven't recorded songs in quite a while, maybe a few months. Um, but in the beginning of COVID, I was doing some. And I met a friend who... Um, ended up moving here and lives here now who um we're gonna try to record an album slowly and over time um but over the winter which is really exciting because it's something that I've always wanted to do and I kind of um I started the artist way at the beginning of the pandemic and it was like you know what are your creative goals and I was like well I want to record an album sometime in my lifetime I want to publish either like a book of short stories or a poem or two or something. Maybe even just one poem in my lifetime. And I want to have an art show. An art show? And yeah. And in February, I had an art show. Or like, I don't know, I, I had decided that I think not even the beginning of the pandemic. Those are my three goals that I had like, you know, I've had those goals for a long time, but they were three small, like attainable things. I already had an art show. I'm about to record an album and so the you know publishing something is up next but it's like it's actually going to happen you know I just kind of made an intention and it's kind of falling together which is rad hey. no I thought you had a bunch of art shows that's why I said that no I only had the one I just got invited to be in another one but I don't know if it's happening because of COVID mm-hmm. also I don't have a painting for it yet uh, so you, need one. you can borrow the one I have on my wall no, that's for you. I love that you framed it. You and my mom in the same day both sent me pictures of paintings of mine that you had framed. It'd been like, do you like the frame? Like you and my mom both did that in the exact same day. That's so funny. Oh, I love it. Yeah. It's next Good to day. Carmen's. Oh, nice. I got you guys next to each other. I love it. I kind of want to become an art collector. Which does mean that I would have to have a big house, which I really don't want. But I have to say, I love collecting art. Almost 
some degree like more than I like making it, but I, I don't like having any stuff in my home, so that's a barrier. Yeah, I really like having having people's art that I've met just in the way that I like getting CDs for, from concerts I've been to, even if I've never heard of them before. Like, I just like, you know, one, supporting artists, but also just like having a souvenir um, and kind of exploring that side of someone's soul that I've like met in person. Yeah. And I've, I almost wish every artist I knew had either like small prints or postcards or something. Cause I want, mm -hmm. I want one of everyone's, not everyone's, but everyone, mm -hmm. you know, everyone I pay attention to art wise. Yeah. Obviously. No, well, I want every single artist <laughs> postcard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. You know, what's funny is like, I don't. Maybe you can see this, but I don't have anything on my walls. I've got like one dried flower hanging and I've been here for like eight months or something. Um, but I have a bunch of stuff to put up. I think I just get really intimidated by like actually putting it up. I'm like, in what order and on what wall and with what frame? And I'm just like not an interior designer. So I think... I get stressed out and there's so something so permanent about like putting something on the wall and I don't know if I want to commit to that yeah. I feel like you're good at putting stuff on walls you've got stuff on walls all over well <laughs> I've learned in the last couple of years that you have to be a little careful with the walls in my past I was not it, <laughs> the amount of nails that I had in my mom's basement in the walls hundreds I swear like hundreds of nails oh my gosh she was so mad when they were selling the house oh god so don't do that if you're leasing <laughs> people care you got a bunch of cool stuff up here and there was oh, like and you're mom's basement yeah and then there was like that part of the wall that was like black light yeah right? i painted the ceiling called the dark <laughs> yeah glow in the dark stars so cool. and then my when i was in college my cousin was staying in the room for a period of time and he was like so freaked out he was like what is this because it kind of it was kind of stars but it was also kind of like galactic and there was like some weird symbols in there yeah, there was some, some stuff. Weird, some weird stuff, but it was like funny. It wasn't creepy. Yeah, just like a like third eyes. Um, but yeah, that's why I was so good at it because I didn't care about the wall. I had no awareness yeah. for the uh, integrity of the wall. So I think we should all be a little less precious. Yeah, I know. You kind of gotta own things, though. That's what I'm learning. That's the thing, yeah. Unless you feel like you want to spackle, like I could spackle this wall and be fine. That's true. But I think I'm, I think I'm too precious with a lot of things. I think if I, I also find that when I have more money, that's less of an issue because I'm like, ah, I'll buy another one, you know. <laughs> but when I don't have any money, I'm like, oh, I have to be very specific about what I'm gonna paint on this panel, because who knows when I'll buy another panel, you know. 
And I'd also like to be a little less precious with my body and kind of just like have a higher risk reward ratio, maybe get more tattoos, mm. you know, just like let go a little bit because, you know, I can, I'm in my youth now, but it's like, you know, we're all going to die. What does it matter if I have a bunch of tattoos? Yeah, tattoos are an interesting thing. I, do you have, you have one, you have one dot on I your two. knee. No, that's Carmen that has the dot on her knee. I have the same dot on my side. And then I have this one on my ankle. It's um, a sun and a plant and a seed. It was not a design I chose. It was my friend Morgan, who's an artist, Morgan Bach. Everyone should look her up if you want to. Um, yeah, she makes really cool. She has a really cool style. Um, and she was starting to get into tattoos and she bought some tattoo needles and um, me and a friend got ankle tattoos and I kind of let Morgan just do what she wanted to do and she drew up a couple things and I was like that one's cool and uh, the whole idea of me getting the tattoo that particular time was like I'm being too mm -hmm. precious I need to like let go a little bit and just like let do something let something happen that's permanent and just not care too much about it and I ended up really liking it um but yeah the whole point of getting it was like just do it, you know. It's not like the mean the tattoo itself has any specific meaning other than other than that, other than that, just the point of doing it. But how meaningful is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a way. And to be honest, the first tattoo I got has two meanings. One of them is like you know the dot, the line, and the dot. You know the connection. And Carmen's one dot, I'm the other dot. But that's also she doesn't necessarily have to be the dot. Like it's it's about the act of connecting and kind of meeting people in the middle like that. Um, that being, you know, a large part of what it feels like life's about. And then the other thing is that I was like the type of person that I thought like would never get tattoos. I was just like too, like, didn't want to mess up my body. Um, and I, you know, was too afraid to do anything. And I was like, if I don't get this tattoo, I'm never going to get a tattoo. I'm just going to be the type of person that never gets a tattoo their whole life. I want to be somebody who would do this. So I'm just going to do it, you know, so it's slowly, slowly, but yeah, I, I, could, I see how that could be like the worst reasoning ever, but also the best reasoning yeah. ever in the way that you explained it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause it's like, you know, all this stress about, oh, well, I can't get a tattoo because, you know, but then what if I get hit by a car and I lose an arm? You know, things happen to people all the time. Mm -hmm. I almost lost my vision in one of my eyes a couple of years ago, um, last year. And it's like, stuff happens all the time. There's, I just don't think there's much of a point in being too precious, caring too much about it. Yeah. That's kind of what I learned from getting hit by that truck also was like, you know, like. Is that when you were driving out to Colorado or Washington? To, to Washington. Um, yeah, I got hit by a semi and I wasn't like, I was close, close to death in proximity. 
but not close to death in like actuality. Like I was fine, but had had the truck hit me, you know, like two feet to the right, I might not have been. So, um, but like in terms of my body, like all I had was whiplash and, and stuff. So, but it, it gave me, you know, a shake up and I think the right, the right kind of shake up where it was just like the two thoughts that I had after it was like, I was like, whew, I'm, I'm glad to be alive. And then I was like, Oh, isn't that a good thing? Not everybody's that glad to be alive. And the fact that I like was so scared is a sign that I care about life and that I care about myself enough to be scared and enough to like, be glad to be alive yeah uh, which is a really really good thing you know um especially if you're someone who hasn't always been which I can say of myself too and then the other thing I learned from it was like stop worrying about shit that doesn't matter like stop worrying about boys stop worrying about petty things stop worrying about aesthetics just like stop stressing about stuff that doesn't matter which is taken longer to implement, but it didn't take that long to realize. It was like pretty instant. It's like, it was like the first thing that occurred to me. It was like, oh, that's what you've been doing wrong. Don't do that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, it, it's so weird how like the scariest, most horrible moments like leave you in a better place to some degree. It's like, you almost like you don't want to ever it's hard to even describe it or say it because it's like you would never wish anything negative negative upon somebody but like at the same time I feel like the most negative experiences I've had I don't know what I would be doing if I didn't have them yeah I feel like I was I feel like I wasn't paying attention Mm. yeah well you get stuck in you get stuck in patterns and and stuff um, and then until something shakes you out of that pattern you know you're on a track and like there, I think there's a I mean I'm not a neuroscientist but I've been told by psychologists that there's like you know a certain point in your life where you get you you know in development where you're like kind of set you know you your personality is relatively established um, unless you experience trauma and then your brain, you know, can rewire because that, that traumatic event like shakes you out of those Mm. mental patterns. And then you form a new, you either form some sort of unhealthy coping mechanism or you have some sort of a realization and, and change what you're doing. And then, you know, psilocybin, well, kind of help with that. <laughs> help with that. Bridge that, bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah, if you don't want to go through trauma, you could try mushrooms. Um, but, but yeah, so it's 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 funny because like there's a lot of lore, you know, just person to person, being like, oh well, you know, it wasn't until my near death experience that I had this whole thing, but then there's actually a neuroscientific back up to that like that's actually how it works which is cool i love it when 
when I've got like the feeling or the, you know, there's like, just like this common sentiment first. And then you find out that the science backs it up. It's always cool that the collective unconscious gets, gets there before there's the, you know, the data to show it. Yeah, I didn't know that about trauma. I mean, it makes total sense, though, because I feel like in the traumatic situations I've been through, it's like you kind of do feel like you're starting over because you're just like trying to get through the day, trying to get through the week, trying to like make sense of life again. And you do kind of have to like re-put all the pieces back together. So I guess that gives you an opportunity yeah. to have the pieces as like individual pieces instead of like looking at the whole puzzle as usual yeah yeah and like because it takes so much um thought to do the daily things you can really look at them critically and be like is this something that makes sense i don't know if i need to be doing this or like what if i tried this new thing instead and it kind of gives you an opportunity to to shake it up and then there's also something about grief if, if if grief is what you're going through where you're just like it's awful but it's also some of the times that i've felt the most present in the world and just like been so miserable that like i look at everything for exactly what it is and it's so beautiful there like i think that, like the last like really drawn out traumatic thing that happened i was living in the woods and I was crying all the time and I was like looking at all the trees and the forest around me all the time and going on walks and I was just crying all the time because they were so beautiful and because I was so sad and eventually I got tired of crying because I was like I need to like go to work like I need like I have stuff I have to do like is this possible for this much water to come out of my face I was dehydrated all the time like I was just so sick of crying, you know, so I kind of just hardened up, you know, I kind of like put a barrier between me and the world so I could go about my day and go about the stuff that I was doing and look to the future and, you know, but it required putting that barrier there. And if I hadn't, you know, like, I would have still been just so connected with the world around me. Mm. And like so open to it and so open to my emotions and it's just hard to function like that on a day to day. <laughs> yeah. I can't say that I've actually been through that experience. It's uh I feel like when I should have been coping with grief, I was like in two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen, I was really sick. And I, my body and my brain, we were, I, all of me was kind of like in the fight or flight mode. So I mm -hmm. wasn't actually coping with grief yeah. or with even anything. I was just like, okay, whatever I got to do, got to do it. And then kind of like back processed. So I kind of missed that step in grief. That's interesting, though. Yeah, when you're in shock like that and, like, you just do the, you know, go into, yeah, go into fight or flight and do the things you need to do. That's generally something I do. This was kind of an exception to that because usually I'll do that mm -hmm. first and be like, okay, what's step one? Okay, what's step two? You know, I just really get 
stressed and then I don't like allow myself to be open to feel feel the stuff. I would say that's probably way healthier. To feel the things or to, to, to you know, do, do the things. Yeah, I would think so too. But it's also just like, you have to really be really strong and in the really right state of mind. I feel like I was doing it not because I felt strong, but because I couldn't help it. But I think like if you're, and then eventually I couldn't do it anymore. And I went into, you know, the fight or flight mode. But I think like you really have to be in the right state of mind to like let yourself feel all yeah. the stuff because it can be like so painful how long can you really stay there no that's true and actually like now that I think about it I think what happened to me is that because I was in the fight or flight mode for so long and dealing with so many things that I didn't have time to process that once I did start processing them it was like my emotions were experiencing the grief, but I felt fine. Like, intellectually, I was like, everything's fine. Like, mm. what, what is going on? Um, but I was, like, super emotional, even in the last year. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, doing that later, like, from a distance when you've got the space for it. You know, if you're dealing with so much in the... I mean, your body does that, does that fight or flight thing for a reason. So if it's like, if you can't deal with the emotional bit until later, yeah, I don't think there's that. Just as long as it gets dealt with at all. Cause some people don't deal with it at all. I was just thinking that actually, I was like, I you know, it took me, it yeah. took me like a couple extra years, but it was like a lot that I was going through. That's okay. That's reasonable. I cannot imagine not dealing with things in general. I know a lot of people who just kind of live an unexamined life and it just baffles me. me too. <laughs> well, first of all, they hurt a lot of people because they don't think about their actions. And second of all, they're immature and they've been immature forever because they don't reflect and they don't deal with the emotional bit. And then they just never grow up and... I don't like understand them. It's like, that's usually a lot of people I used to connect with, but can't connect with now because I'm just like, how could you not see that, that, you know? I don't understand how but. people function like that at all. Maybe it's because I, maybe I'm a very emotional person and I think you are too, that like we feel a lot. So the idea of like putting it off till later and having it just build seems like so daunting yeah I, I try to do that sometimes but then that just translates into anxiety and then I'm just in my head cycling with stuff and it stresses me out and it kind of even if it's not like really palpable anxiety it's like just kind of like this this low level thing that doesn't go away until I actually address it how do you address it Well, I'm addressing a lot of it now with this like attachment stuff and being like it I think it's it's requiring a lot of self-compassion um which is hard um to do but then once I do it I feel like I've got this little safe harbor you know where I can flail around <laughs> and I know nobody's watching me from shore and judging me um 
I don't cry a lot. Like, I think I've gone through periods of my life where I have, and this is not one of them. Um, but yeah, just going through it slow with a lot of like self-acceptance and a lot of understanding and a lot of like, there's a reason I am where I am. There's a reason that like, I have developed these ways of doing things. A lot of them are not serving me anymore. Um, coping with like actually what other people have done you know if there's like a traumatic thing that makes me really sad that's because of somebody else I feel like the part about them is actually really short-lived because it's more about me and the suffering that I inflict on myself um but there's nothing you can do about other people's actions. So once I accept that, um, like I don't suffer that much at their hand, I suffer at my own hand because I'm just like, well, what could I have done differently? Sometimes like, like what they, what could have they done differently? And, and then I forget that I can't do anything about what they, it's like, how could I have told them what they could have done differently? It's like, no, you can't do anything to change this. So once I actually, accept what has happened has happened and accept that there's nothing I can do about it or that it's not my job to do anything about it. That's the other big thing is letting other people's problems be their problems and my problems be my problems and knowing that I don't have some sort of responsibility to, to teach someone something. Um, that helps a lot. And the, the duration of these bouts of suffering have gotten shorter and shorter the older and older I've gotten because it's like well this isn't my first rodeo what did you learn last time last time I learned you know this and that and then I use this and that and I'm like well I learned that from experience so it's really kind of anchored in there I just have to remember it so there's that and then yeah like I think most of my issues come from dealing with other people. Like the car accident, I was pissed that I didn't get any money for the car, but the actual event I got over pretty quickly. And then the, you know, starting to drive again, I did that earlier this year. It was just like, well, I got to drive. So I know I'm scared right now, but I'm just going to do it. And the more I do it, the less scared I'll be. And I finally... I've been getting on the highway and nothing bad is, has been happening. And so it's become safer and safer. So just knowing I have to get back on the horse and accepting that again, with self-compassion, just being like, it's okay that I'm scared. I'm not a chicken for being scared. Something scary happened. So I'm scared, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love all of that. It's newish. It's relatively new. I think knowing yeah knowing what is not yours is such a beautiful thing it's so hard and then when i do it i'm like oh why well, i don't have to think about anything now <laughs> i struggle with it a lot when it comes to people that are very close to me yeah like the closest people like i get all confused about it i'm like is this yours is this mine i don't know you feel like you take on their their problems and their like emotions? I really don't know. 
that's the thing. Um, sometimes I probably do, but sometimes I also can be like the avoidant person or maybe it's on the exactly avoidant, but it's just like, I just want to work on a painting for 12 hours or whatever the thing is that yeah. can be slightly. Well, I feel like that sounds like a healthy boundary though. It was like knowing what you want to do and doing it versus being avoidant. Yeah. The thing avoidant is what I got the impression of is more like, um, pushing people away and not wanting to have closeness or deal with like the deal with what it means to be close to other people versus like spending time with yourself you know yeah no they are kind of separate things but I guess like just like in terms of taking on other people's problems or not I do kind of have a a lot of, like, I have, a, like, a lot of things going on. I'm kind of very focused on what I'm doing. And sometimes other people need my compassion and time and energy. So it's a yeah. tricky thing to balance. It's also, like, not one person. It's, like, a reoccurring thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm I don't think I get avoidant much, but I think I used to, which is probably why you thought I was the avoidant type because I would lose my phone and then intentionally not look for it or find it for two weeks, <laughs> smoke a lot of weed, and then just go home and draw in my room, and like see people at school when I saw them, and then like just go home and not see or talk to anyone. And I was loving it. That's like, so I just, funny, because I could never figure out how you and like a couple other people we knew would just never have their phone. And I'm like, how like, how many phones have you guys gotten in the last year? Like, Oh my gosh, one time I left my phone in St. Peter's and my aunt um, was like, well, I'll drive you to go get it. Cause I hadn't had it for like two or three weeks. And it was like, had duct tape on the back to keep the battery in, you know, it was like a crappy old phone. And she was like, I'll take you to go get it. And I was like, no, no, that's okay. Like I didn't, first of all, I didn't want to get so it because I didn't want to have it. I never, I never suspected this from any of you guys, with these lost phones. Well, I, I don't know if everybody no, else was intentional, but I, I relished in, it was a time where I didn't were have Were you conscious that you were doing phone. this? Or not even? I was conscious. You know, I didn't know what texts or calls I was getting, and it didn't matter because I didn't have any responsibilities. Like, now as an adult, I could never lose my phone for that long. Um, but, uh, you know, at the time, it was like, good, no one can get to me for a little bit so I can do what I want to do. Um and not have to answer to anything or, you know, I just wanted to like draw. Um, and there was, a, I wouldn't call it social anxiety in there, but yeah, it was, a, it was avoidance for sure. I didn't, 
I didn't, I, I enjoyed seeing people at school when I saw them. I didn't need any other like amount of closeness or any other amount of, of interaction. Like I got my fill and then I was done with it. You know, it was just really being an introvert. Yeah. Oh, I still struggle and I, a lot. With, with not wanting to see people? I do want to see... Actually, I do want to see people. I struggle with the phone. I struggle with, like, texting and, like, emails and, like, these, like... Ha not really social, but just, like... They just seem like a waste of communication type communications. Yeah, I don't like small talk. Exactly. Yeah, that's... I mean, I've contemplated getting rid of my phone. 100%. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the future of this communication technology is going to be, but... Yeah, I don't like texting someone, like, having texting conversations just for the sake of it. Like, I had an ex that was, like, would just text me random little things that meant nothing just to, like, be in contact. It's like... I would rather have an actual conversation about an actual thing where we're like going somewhere, I'm getting to know more about you or we're like figuring something out or like some sort of depth. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just like boop, boop, boop. Like it kills me to have small talk. And sometimes when I'm around like other people, like especially couples, if they're just like booping around and small talking and like, just like, how do you exist for this long? and just talk about nothing and just talk to talk like i don't know i i it's it's like nails on a chalkboard to me i'm with you can you create a campaign poster against it small talk and the small, <laughs> the small talk. talk yeah 2020 one i'd love you know this year's gonna be over soon what um, do you think is the best way to have real conversations with people in this time period? I don't know, because I don't really know what my strategy is to do it. I just kind of get in deep with people when I know them very little. And I'm sure that that is off-putting to some people, but when I do the other thing and I try to like accommodate their small talk, I just don't feel like myself. Is it in person? So I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think what I used to do in college would be, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be in the party. So I'd go outside of the party and a, an excuse to do that was smoking cigarettes, which I don't do anymore. But I liked the people that I met and the culture of being the people outside smoking cigarettes, having conversations so much more than I liked the culture of being in the party. It's like I wanted to have social time, but not like that mindless kind of social time. Um, so I don't know how to do it now. I mean, I think one good thing about, you know, our generation and, and Gen Z too, for sure, um, is that there's a lot of focus on emotional intelligence. There's focus on trauma talk. There's fo focus on like um, 
boundaries and vulnerability and people are really talking about this stuff now versus like it's not like we got that kind of we didn't get like an emotional education in school and our parents certainly <laughs> no <didn't. laughs> i feel but, like we got an emotional yeah. education by making like a hundred thousand mistakes yeah and then getting shamed <laughs> for that or being told or having a ton of pressure and being like you should be president like you need to be achieving early and then you need to apply for you know, this like, thing yeah yeah there's a lot of pressure on that um yeah so i don't know i think that the that conversations are opening up um i think cancel culture is not where it's at in terms of allowing for conversations and allowing for change mm -hmm. There's even starting to be talk about that. Like even people on the, there's this um, woman I follow on Instagram who, um, I, need to, I think her name is Clementine Morgan. Um, Carmen showed me their stuff. Um, but they started a podcast about like, um, how cancel culture isn't helpful and how to like have um, more conversations on the left that are productive um, and allowing for a change um, and not be so polarizing. Yeah. Like having views for sure, but shame is not mm -hmm. productive or motivating change most of the time. Um, so I think that conversations are starting to open up. People are like, the only reason I'm opening up is because the culture is opening up and other people are opening up. I'm not, I don't think I'd be this open of a, of a person or be investigating my emotional BS, um, and my unhelpful habits and stuff. If I, if the culture weren't there or if the circles that i ran in weren't slowly going there i don't think that i would do this on my own i think i'd be like you know sucking it up and not changing and being stubborn probably but i think this has been a really hard time for everyone and i think it's we're all going through trauma and so we're all rewiring our brains that's so interesting that you say that because it's hard to tell what the general population is doing for me. Because I feel like I'm in so many bubbles. Like I'm bubbles in bubble and bubbles sure. and bubbles. That I have no idea what the general population is doing. But that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know about the general population. I think that was too much of a generalization, generalization for me to well, make. Well, the bubble that you're in but is doing that. And I like I didn't even know that because I'm in so many coaching related bubbles that yeah. it, all that stuff is just like everyone's constantly talking about it and it's weird you know with social media and just like being on people's email lists or just like the things I'm doing and paying attention to uh you know it's I would have no idea whether that was just like my coaching school and coaching friends or if it people are really paying attention now yeah well i mean i think the stigma of asking for help is 
maybe it's just, you know, again, maybe it's just the bubbles I run in, but I think therapy has become really commonplace and people have become really open about it and been like, Oh, my therapist said on Tuesday that like this and this, and it's like, you know, when I was a kid, I was in therapy when I was like 10, 11, 12, I was in therapy a lot, but I would never have told anybody about it. And I was in therapy because I was really struggling with a lot of things and mental illness and like had a really rough home life but it's like nobody that i knew was that was in therapy because everyone that i knew was 10 <laughs> you know yeah and now that i'm an adult like i don't think i would have ever gone back to therapy except for everyone's like you know a lot of people that i know are like therapy so great everyone should be in therapy well you know singing the praises of therapy not even even if they're not struggling with mental illness or even if they're not having a hard time, you know, just for personal growth, it's become more of a commonplace thing. I also think it's really important to acknowledge how class related that is. And that, first of all, not, not everyone can afford therapy. And a lot of people can't. Um, second of all, that like, I think in like, like upper middle class culture therapies more common people have the time and space and money for it but in you know cultures that are well less well off than that there there i think a lot of times there's an attitude of like do it yourself no one's going to help you you know because a lot of the time people have had to yeah uh, well definitely no like I think help. probably time is a huge issue because if you have I don't know a lot of different jobs you you wouldn't be able to even carve out an hour you couldn't you wouldn't be able to like oh I'm gonna take a late lunch or whatever you would need to do and if you're taking care of kids you know like where's the time for yourself and therapy is expensive I'm lucky enough to have someone that works with a sliding scale um, and I think that's, you know, well, people have been, I didn't, that was never a thing that I was aware of until more recently, yeah. but that's probably, could be, could be my awareness or it could be coming, be becoming more commonplace. But I think there's a lot more, yeah, I mean, there's I, a lot more counselors, I think. I, I don't know. I'd have to check that out for sure. But there really, there should be like a nonprofit. I'm sure that there is, but there should be more. Yeah. Some of me wonders how much big pharma is driving this increase in therapy and acceptance of therapy because, you know, big pharma wants you to see a psychiatrist and get medicine. So yeah. the first step to doing therapist, I don't think there's any harm in seeing a therapist. I think when it becomes the culture of like everyone needs to see a psychiatrist, that's when we'll have a problem because everyone's just going to be pumped full of, I mean, everyone already is, but like, you know, the, the the issue with everyone being pumped full of pills is, yeah, I don't, yeah. So, so part of me wonders if like the reason that the culture is being driven in that direction is because of big pharma's influence, but I'm not going to get into conspiracy theory. I'm not going to invent any mm -hmm. sort of, I don't know. That's interesting though. I mean, I do, I, what scares me about it in general is the idea that everyone's everyone thinks there's something wrong with them like personally mm -hmm. i mean i'm not saying everyone but a lot of people th 
think that they really have something wrong with them. And I, I don't feel like that's a helpful perspective. Yeah, well, and what I've been hearing from people is more that everyone should go to therapy for personal growth versus out of a place of shame. And because of the stigma of going to therapy is kind of decreasing, that the shame aspect is decreasing. And then it's not like, oh, there's something wrong with you, but like more like, oh, this is good for everyone. But I've had that issue too. And when I was a kid in therapy and like was having a lot of mental health issues because of my home life and, and what I was dealing with there, um, I did feel like there was something wrong with me and it didn't help me. It made me feel like there was something like inherent that I was never going to get out of and that I was getting treatment for a sickness Mm -hmm. that I had not like, Oh, this is understandable. Like you have really tough situations going on. You're 10. Like, it's not like you, you know, are doing something wrong or that you were born this way. It's that your situation has completely required you to cope in in various ways and so I think there is you know I've been told more of like this is an acceptable thing to do for personal growth and like it's not out of a place of lack or shame and so I think that hopefully things continue to move in that direction Do you have any advice for anyone that's listening? Life tips. I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about what life, you know, meaning. I've I've always thought about the meaning of life a ton. And obviously it's, you know, alternately gotten me nowhere and gotten me somewhere. Um, But... I have wondered, like, I didn't ask to be born. So why am I here? And, you know, I used to think like love was the meaning of life, like either romantic love or just like friend love. And then I saw this bit of a poem the other day that I'm going to pull up. I'll just read the end part. This is the way it came up on the New Yorker's Instagram and I read the whole poem and I highly recommend reading the whole poem. It's by Sharon Olds. But the last part of the poem and the part that came up while I was having these thoughts was, I asked with everything I did not have to be born and nowhere in any of it was there meaning. There was only the asking for being and then the being, the turn taken. I want to say that love is the meaning, but I think that love may be the means what we ask with. So I was thinking like if love isn't the meaning but it's the means then then what is the meaning? And I think the meaning is kind of inherent in in the asking. Um like if you, I don't, I haven't read the full selfish gene, but like there's this, there's this life force that works on such a smaller level and and also such a bigger level than, than us. Um, and it's this mysterious energy that keeps us alive and keeps us doing what we do and keeps us wanting to, to 
like have sex and make babies and and propagate and like survive and um it's what makes us glad when we are alive after we get hit by a car it's like why do we want to survive um and when we don't isn't that a lot of the time because we think that we're not worthy of survival like you know we're the survival bit of it is like I'm not articulating myself super well, but it's just, it just feels inherent in like what ever this little energy force is that, that keeps the, the earth turning and these, um, you know, forces within, within us and between all the molecules of our being attracting and repelling and moving so I don't know what the meaning of life is, but I think that the thing to do is just to follow that energy and just to do what really speaks to you. Um, because even if love is not the meaning, like it's, it's a way to keep us alive and whatever wants us to be alive really wants us to be alive. So just listen to it, do what it wants you to do. And I think I spent a lot of time like doing what I think I should do, capital S, and what, you know, society wants me to do and what like I think is a quote unquote good idea and what's practical. And all it's done is demotivate me. And I think that the thing is like a lot of people have faith and have a religion and and that's the same thing as like listening to that life force. They're just, they've externalized it in this idea of God. And so they listen to God. Um, and so, you know, if you don't want to listen to God, just do what you feel like, do what you feel like doing, but not, not in a like hedonistic way, but like, if you're driven by something, follow it. If you're interested in something, learn about it, you know? So that's my tips. Those are my tips and tricks. Beautiful. That That is a lovely note to end on. Um, so if people want to connect with you or find you on the internet, is there anywhere that you want to send them to? Like if they want a commission? Sure. I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I don't have any like formal art internet thing out of like I think out of kind of fear of actually taking it seriously and of like doing doing that as like a business decision but I would be more than happy to connect by email um it's r-a-i-h-a-n as in nancy a dot o m as in mary r-i at gmail.com or um, you can find me on Instagram and, and follow me. It's not a it's not a public account as of now. That may change, but um, it's Razorblade R A I Z O R underscore B L A D E. Yeah, um, but yeah, feel free to throw it in the description notes. Um, yeah, or find me on Facebook. Facebook is the thing I'm least likely to have going forward into the internet world, but I'll always have an email and I'll probably still have an Instagram. 
thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. I feel like this was this was really deep, and I know I got out of a lot out of it, and I learned I learned a lot about you tonight actually, even though we've had many chats. So I love our chats. Our chats are always very deep. Well, thank you. Thank you thank for you. coming out here for the archives for the aliens, putting it out there for the future. Yeah, I hope some aliens contact us. Any any tips or ideas for the future of Archives for Aliens, since we're very new here? I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, I, I'll tell the world. I'll tell all the humans I know and any aliens I may meet.